Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Morning. Certainly, uh, as has already been expressed, we do want to welcome all of our visitors. We have several here. We have some of our members visiting other places and not here, but I want to greet each one of you. Thank you for your presence here. And again, add my uh, well wishes to all the fathers. Want to include into that anybody who has a father, um, who plans to be one, who's a grandfather, who knows a father. So uh, we want to add a blessing to each and every one of you. I chose to uh, speak on a topic other than a typical Father's Day sermon today, and it's not because uh, I see any problems in the church. It's because I saw some things that I needed to work on in my personal life. So, uh, very good for me yesterday. Uh, Jean took a a period of time while I was rehearsing. She was not there, so she didn't get to see a grown man cry. So, I will tell you, there are some things in today's lesson that are very, very hard for me. Uh, I hope there's nothing in there hard for you, but there are some things in here that I needed to incorporate, that I needed to hear, and I continue to need to work on. Uh, Perhaps you'll find some things in there that are Use for you, for you as well. I'm going to talk about all things are lawful for me, but I love that conjunction, and it's a negative conjunction. What it says, in light of the things that are in front of me, I'm going to tell you some things after that you need to incorporate with that. Not all things are. And we'll spend some time on those, but I want to preface that with a little bit of background here because those uh, particular verses come out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll get into both of those. We'll spend some time in 1 Corinthians 8. We'll go into Romans chapter 14. I would encourage you uh, to grab a Bible. Not every verse that I use today is going to be on my slides, and that's a little bit different. Uh, But I wanted to do that. And if you've got an electronic version, I'm sorry. I'm an old guy. I like paper. I admit that. I like to look at it. I like to touch it. Uh, And you know what? I don't have nearly as many problems with the technology on a book as I do on my phone. Uh, Just a little bit about Corinth here, though. I should be able to do that, but I can't. If you can see Corinth up there, I'll I'll actually have a line going to it later on that can kind of show you where it is. But it is in the middle of the known world at that time, or at least somewhere in the middle of it. If we can go along, you look at Jerusalem over here. Uh, That's in Arabia, what we would call the Middle East. We go to the other side of that is Rome. So those are kind of the left and right limits, if you will. Corinth is on that isthmus there in the middle in Greece. So it's between Rome and Greece. Uh, For those of you who are history buffs, Sparta is south of Corinth there on that isthmus. So very strategically located in terms of the economy, uh, the military, and also for just strategic location there. Now, what that leads to is that that port city had folks from a lot of different places. They had a lot of different backgrounds and cultures and religions. And as the gospel began to spread... People were baptized out of that population and added to the Lord's church. 
And with them, they brought that background and that culture and many of the things from their old religions and tried to practice that within the church. Now, Paul received reports about that. He got a letter. He got some reports uh, that were verbal. And following the biblical principle, what did he do? He went in to either validate that or invalidate those reports. Actually, accusations of sin. And he validated those reports. And it led him to write epistles or letters, three, four letters. Uh, this would be the second one, if I have my chronology correct. In those letters, we call it the book of 1 Corinthians. And he was addressing particular issues facing the church, including that the church was struggling with division. They had idolatry within the church. There was immorality in the church, and there was some doctrinal confusion. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter, and it seems that there's a couple of major themes in it. I want to get that out front because we're going to talk about these things quite a bit. Number one, we as Christians have liberty or we have freedom. And we have that from death and we have freedom from the consequences of that sin and we have freedom from the fear of law and we could go on and on with that. That's all great news, right? But there's that conjunction. I'm not the most important thing in the universe. Now, number two, my opinion, my priorities, my preferences, my wants... My, my, my are all important, and they have their place. But glorifying God, encouraging and lifting up my brethren, and denying self for the sake of church unity are more important than me. And number three, me failing to yield to my brethren, to follow my shepherds, to even suffer wrong, in order to glorify God, encourage and lift up my brethren, and deny myself for the sake of church unity, brethren, is sin. And God will hold me accountable for how I treat others, for how I influence them, and for my attitude and judgment towards them. Those three things. Now, if you didn't find anything in there applicable to you, then you can go ahead and turn me off. Everything in there was applicable to me, and we're going to drill down on that a little bit. I want to encourage you to go ahead and get a Bible. Uh, again, I know what you have there, but uh, if you would, we're going to spend some time starting off in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul starts here by saying, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I want to spend a little time on that because that all things are lawful for me. Now, for what that really means when we look at that lawful, that particular term, don't want to bore you with a lot of definitions, but what that means is if you see me in public, if you see my exterior, everything looks correct. If you look at my Facebook page, my life is a dream. I've got a white picket fence around my country farmhouse. All of my children are in line. My wife adores me. Life is wonderful. All things are lawful. 
But as we look at all things are lawful, if we're not careful, that can be something like I'm doing the right thing. I'm sorry, I'm doing things right. We have a process, right? We're doing things right. And oftentimes we'll use that. It looks like I'm living my life within the bounds of the church. So if we look at that, when we're thinking about all things again uh, are lawful for me, we're talking about the fact that um, as I look at those around me, I can judge particular things. Now, I have a God-given right to have an opinion. It doesn't mean that I'm always right to exercise it. And I'm going to say that again. Yes, I have a right to have an opinion. But brothers and sisters, I don't always need to act on that. And some of the most hotly contested and contended opinions that I hear are from people that are the least informed on the topic about which they have an opinion. There's nothing wrong with politics. There's a lot wrong with it if it begins to supersede our beliefs, our faith, our religion. The Lord said contend for the faith in the book of Jude. He didn't say be contentious about politics. Be contentious about my opinion. And when my opinion begun, begins to override the word of God, brethren, the problem is not God's word. The problem resides with me. All things are lawful for me. And then he goes and said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. So I want to look at that word helpful for just a minute. We will do a little definition here because I think it's very important. Different translations will offer up different words. It's all going to have the same definition. It means that, let me go ahead and get that up. I think I've got that. It means to bring or, or bear or bring together. Now that brings with us the idea of us unifying or becoming one through my actions, my decisions, my stated opinions, my judgments, my life. Everything that I do, every decision I make, every sentence I speak, every day of my life, I should have the goal of influencing my brothers and sisters for good. Now think about that. To bear together at the same time. To carry with others. Now to carry with others again means, am I helping you with your burden? I'm going to tell you right now, I can't help you with your burden if I don't know what it is. And brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean it's your fault. I don't know. It might be I hadn't put enough effort in there to get to know you well enough to know the burdens that you bear. And if that's the case, I'm going to ask your forgiveness now. Because I need to be there. I need to be a part of the group that you can call on for support. And if I'm not, it's not your fault. It's mine. And I need to work harder at that. Maybe you need to work harder at that. To collect or contribute in order to help. I love that. In order to help. Why are we asking for a contribution? Why are we collecting anything? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why am I volunteering to do that? Is it to help? 
Is it to help the other? Is it to help me? Is it because I need to feel something inside of me and I'm actually going to help me by helping you? If that's the case, it's never about you. It's always about me. The idea behind that is for me to do that in order to help you. To be profitable, to be expedient, to help. And again, this is with a view towards the kingdom overall, the local church in particular, and my brethren specifically. Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. And there's parts of this that deal with our life outside, if you will, in the community. Outside this community or family of believers that we have, but this particular talks about us and how we're treating our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, that is seen by the outside world. It does influence the outside world. Make no doubt about that. When they see division in the church, when they see dissension in the church, when I go to work and I'm bad-mouthing my shepherds or a brother or sister over there, you know what? It has an impact and it's negative. We're hurting the church, brothers and sisters, if and when we do those things. We need not do that. We need to speak well of the church. The Lord died for it. He thought enough of it to make it his bride, and that's you and I. And to talk bad about our groom is not just disrespectful, it's sin. And we can damage other souls and influence them in their eternal decision. And instead of leading them to Christ, we can lead them to hell. We have opportunities every day. Every day. And when God gives us that day, Brother Clyde, he's got a purpose for us. Our job is to fulfill that purpose. And when we wake up in the morning, how many of us say, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to serve you? Or, man, that drive's going to be a killer this morning. Got to drive through Oklahoma City. That traffic's terrible. I don't know why we call it rush hour. I've been in that many times. Nobody was rushing. We were all American and nobody was going anywhere fast. It's rough. My job, however, is to glorify God. It's to lift up my brethren. It's to work towards unity. And sometimes I have to sacrifice to do that. Yes, I do. Now, I want to go ahead and say this up front as a disclaimer. There are times, brothers and sisters... Um, when folks need to be admonished or be rebuked. That's absolutely correct. But there's a time and a place for that. There's a time and a place when we need to be able to have hard conversations with people that we love, either our brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's other overarching considerations, the but, that we need to bring into that. But I am saying then that these conversations must pass what I call the Corinthian litmus Test. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. So let's look at some examples here. You ever heard anyone say something, come up to you and say something like, man, that brother Heppelfinger was really fired up this morning. He was upset. Apparently he didn't like something that I said, but uh, all I did was tell the truth. You ever heard anybody say anything like that? 
which is a way of saying I didn't do anything wrong, but Brother Hepperfinger's got a problem he needs to deal with. He just couldn't take my encouragement. He just couldn't take me informing him on how he ought to live his life a little bit better. Now, the beauty of the situation here is we got four elders. And you know what? That's their responsibility. That's not Chris Taylor's. God bless every one of you, as Tiny Tim would say. God bless you. That makes my life a whole lot simpler. And you know what? There's tons of things I don't have to have an opinion on. I don't. That frees up a whole lot of time for me to go do other things. Should we meet at 10 o'clock in the morning? Should we have communion before or afterwards? The sermon. You know what? Decision's been made. That's a matter of judgment. Our elders do that. Thank you for doing that. I don't have to worry about it. And if I have an opinion on that, it needs to become the opinion that the elders are looking out for me and thank you for doing that. Now I can overjoy to meet at 10 o'clock in the morning. Absolutely. We need to strive for unity. Too many times, um, some of us get upset over our own opinions. And I'll tell you, the, the, that book of first opinions is a very divisive book. Yeah. Because what it says is that I'm important and what I want is more important than. What I want is more important than. I'm looking for that verse. If you've got it, give it to me. We've got few Bibles out there. Go ahead and raise your hand. I'll come. You can show me. I've never seen that one. What I want is more important than. I see a whole lot of less of me and more of others. Thank you for that, Brother Mark, too. Good introduction. You know, we hear people say things about, you know, I'm just an open book. You know what that really means? It means you've got no filter. And it means you're not going to take in consideration the impact of what you're saying and doing on other people. You don't care about them. You need to have a filter. Everything you think and do doesn't need to be out there for public discussion. We'll say things like, how many kids they got? Don't they know what causes that? And we're doing that to build them up. Well, that makes them feel good about that decision to procreate. Thank you for that. Because your judgment is more important than theirs. Don't think so. Why isn't his shirt tail tucked in? Why isn't he wearing socks? Why has he got that haircut? Why is her dress so short? Why, 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 why? And you know what? All that's important inside my family of origin. That's right. In the four walls of my house, my important means something. My opinion means something. I walk out that front door, it doesn't mean didn't When I walk into this assembly, we've got four men whose opinions matter. Now, I'm not telling you your opinion doesn't matter. It does. We have a process for that. You talk to the elders, they'll be glad to hear your opinion. They'll take it into consideration, and then they'll make a decision because why? That's why the Holy Spirit set them apart, was to make decisions on matters of judgment, at least one of the things he and thank you all for doing that one more time. I'll get off that soapbox for just a minute. So all these things may be lawful. In fact, is it lawful for me to speak the truth? The answer is yes. However, I think there's a but that comes behind that, right? Paul actually addresses this selfish and unloving attitude. And I chose those words 
intently. His selfish and unloving attitude. When we begin judging others by our opinion as a metric for right and wrong, brothers and sisters, we are supplanting God. Let's be very, very careful with that. We go back to verse 12 again. We see, but all things are lawful for me, but not all things. But I won't be brought under the power of any. I'm sorry. When we look at that, uh, have power over authority, it means basically that somebody's our master, that we become a slave to somebody or something. I don't know about you, but what I do, usually addiction will pop into my mind. That comes in pretty quickly. We have people that struggle with addiction in our body, right? It's in every family. It's all over America today, some form of addiction, either a substance or some kind of behavior. But I think the Holy Spirit is instructing Paul to do that. It means a whole lot more than addiction. When he says, I won't be brought under the power of any. Now, addiction truly is becoming enslaved to that substance or behavior, but I want to talk about self. And I think it starts right here with us. I will not become a slave to my own selfish desires. When I do that, what's just happened? I become a slave to me. I am my own God. And I'm going to tell you, I'm a terrible God. I wouldn't even make a good cult leader. I don't have power. I can't speak. And man, a kind, can you imagine a world comes into being? I can't go pick up dirt and, and there's a man running around. I can't bring the dad back from life. But my God can. And he's done those things. And because he has, he will. That's the God I want to serve. A God that truly has the power to do those things. Not my carnal self. And when I begin to obey my carnal desires, I'm no longer Christ. I'm no longer under the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. I have become my own God. I've forsaken Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, the scripture says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he, Christ, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I don't care what sins you committed before you were buried with your Lord in baptism. I don't care. Because that in your life has been expunged. It's gone. It's covered by the blood of Christ. And such were some of you. Now you're a child of God. You are free from those things. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are, have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Sorry, King James pops in sometimes. When this happens, we become that new creation. We no longer can be judged by the sins of our past. We can no longer be judged by that past life. But brothers and sisters, by who we are Today, at this time, and that is a new creature made in the image of God. 
How do I become this new creation? John chapter 3, great discussion here going on with a leading Pharisee here, Nicodemus. In verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can you imagine somebody hearing that for the first time? Unless somebody's born again? Well, I know how people are born. I was actually witness to two of my children being born. I was in the room. I know how that works from an outside perspective. And Nicodemus, being confused, asked the Lord, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We know how that works in a watery grave of baptism. That's how we become children of God because Jesus died for me. It's not just Je that the fact that Jesus died, but brothers and sisters, he died for me. He died for you. That allows me to become a new creature, a new creation. I am different now than the alien sinners around me. I am changed. And I need to continue to change. And all of those things in my life that have been taken out, I need to fill that void with goodness. I need you to help me to gain in my knowledge and my understanding and know better how to serve my God, glorify Him, and grow the kingdom. And I hope we're all working towards those same things. Paul continues to provide us with guidance on how to keep the unity of the bond of peace with ourselves, our brethren, and even with others that we come in contact with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all things are lawful for me. He continues that thing. He talked about the physical body in, in, in chapter 6. He's going to get over here in chapter 10, have a little bit different uh, context, but he's going to continue that theme. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Again, we've talked about that word helpful, so we're going to go down here and, and focus a little more on all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And again, you may have a different word there, but that particular word brings with it uh, the idea that we're going to build things up. Should have that, right? We're going to build things up. I want to really focus in on, however, um, under bearing together or at the same time, which is awesome. Sorry. I want to get back and talk about to, to collect or contribute in order to help. Is that right? Yes, it is. I'm sorry. Let me get here. There we go. To promote growth in Christian wisdom. Sometimes rehearsal doesn't pay off. Uh, affliction, grace, virtue, holiness, uh, blessedness. So metaphorically, this word means that you and I, everything that we do, everything that we do should promote growth in terms of Christian wisdom, affection. Towards our brothers and sisters, grace, virtue, holiness, 
blessedness. So I'm going to ask you the comments that we make to one another, the judgments we make about one another. When I look at that and go, man, I can, I can teach him how to get that kid to stop that. Because I know how to raise kids. You betcha I do. I know how to raise mine. And some would say I didn't do a great job. Even if I did a great job, doesn't mean it applies to you. It's not my household. I need to get back over here and I need to strive for unity. Not for trying to make people be cookie-cutter Christians. Man, what a sad world that would be. That's your responsibility. To restore by building. Sorry, let's go to edify. To promote growth in. All of those things that we talked about. Man, I'm having a hard time catching up. In Christian wisdom, and we're going to do that by building, rebuilding, or repair. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. By building, rebuilding, or repairing. Now if I've got bad blood or a bad relationship between Brother Hepafinger and myself. By the way, how many people think that would have been helpful for me to go up and talk to him about he needs to have his shirt tucked in? Probably would have helped him in his Christian walk up box, right? We see the evolution of things. When I was a kid, you know what we wore? We wore overhauls. Not overalls, overhauls. And you had the blue and white striped one. That was your Sunday go to meet in overhauls. And then there was a point in my life we wore three-piece suits. We did. You had to have a little tie thing that went through there. You had to have the church stuff on. And we see different things today. And if I put my judgment on you about what's important and what's valuable, is that really promoting unity in the church? There's really where the question comes. If I have harmed a relationship with any of my brethren, I need to take the actions I need to restore that relationship. I do. You'll bear with me a minute. Because this is hard. There's times when I was convinced as the Apostle Paul in my correctness. But I'm going to tell you, you can have the truth and do harm. We can. And we need to go repair that. We need to fix it. Sometimes we need to put our hat in our hand and go visit a brother who is still angry with us and put that aside. Because it's not about me. It's about him. Always about him. <laughs> and if I can't do that, I'm not worthy of the blood of my Savior. And he died for nothing. He died for nothing. Again, what does it say the outside world, brothers and sisters, when we have that conflict? And it's based on my selfish will. My refuse to bend. 
to my brother. Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 says, Therefore if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. What do we do? Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know what's more important than the gifts and the sacrifice that I would put on that altar is the peace that I have with my brethren. Important. After we found a relationship, and yes, we use those things to found it, we use to continue to build that, and we repair that, and we restore that. That's what we do. There's our litmus test out of Corinthians. In verse 8, Paul looks at it like this. He's dealing with a little bit different issue. He's talking about meat offered to idols, but beginning in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says, but beware lest how this liberty of yours is it lawful for me. He's using a different term. It means the same thing. Is it lawful for me? Yes, it is. Do I have the liberty? Yes, you do. But beware lest somehow our liberty becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. You know, in my lifetime, I've heard a lot of discussion about weak brethren. If you disagree with me, you're just a weak brother. You're always the weak one. I'm always the strong one. But you know what? In this context, a strong one has a lot more things to deal with than a weak. The strong one is supposed to do what? Not allow the liberty that they have because of the knowledge and understanding that they've got be a stumbling block for their brother who is weaker than them. That's what he's talking about here. For if anyone sees, uh, sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. That's hard. That's hard. I know more than my brother does. And I can use it to his destruction. Or I can use it to build his faith. But when you thus sin against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. How many of us want to give up meat? I don't. Now, there may be people here that don't meet, eat, eat meat. But I'm going to tell you, I come from a group of people, if you're not eating meat, that means you're a terrible hunter. That's all that means. I don't know who by choice would do that, but there are people that do, and I'm not trying to condemn that. That's your option. And I don't want that to divide you and I, and if we eat together, I will do what I can to make sure you don't have to eat meat. I don't want your conscience to file. We have a lot of folks here that gluten is an issue for, right? Amen. If you'll notice that, there was communion set out here. The elders have seen that that's provided for those of us that have those issues with that. We can still partake of the same bread, but this not have gluten in it. That's important. Now, I don't know about you. That's not my conscience. That's my body. If I eat too much gluten, my body will body slam me like a WWE wrestler coming off the top rope. It'll take me down. May not bother you. If you don't, you don't have that consideration, brethren, I do. We have some others here that do. 
And thank you for being considerate of that. Thank you for being mindful of that. Those things help us to get along and do better. There's a lot of things, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving examples because I don't want to get people all fired up. I don't. You know what's going on in your own mind, in your own heart, what's important to you. But brethren, if I look at something and I say, I have the liberty to do this, and I am going to do it regardless. I have just said, I don't care about you. My stubborn will is more important than your soul. And the scripture says, I sin against you and against Christ. And I need to make some changes. Romans chapter 14, and then we'll conclude. That's not on the slide. Again, if you've got a book you might want to read, I'm going to skip around a little bit. I'm going to start in verse 10. Thank you for the reading this morning out of Romans 14. Isaac, I appreciate that. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? Who? Show contempt. When I put myself in front of my brother, I'm showing contempt for him. My sister, it's the same thing. I'm showing contempt. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be right there together. You and I. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That's on a whole lot of people's kitchen, a refrigerator with a magnet. So then each of us should give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Wow. There's success. There's success. And you know, when you and I have a selfish will and we see that that could harm our brother or sister and we bring that in and we make that sacrifice, it's not going to be in the church bulletin. Likely nobody else is going to know about it except the one that matters the most. And that's as it should be. It's about our brother. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another to build them up. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Will that modify your life? It does mine. And again, we can always apply that good old litmus test out of Corinthians. First of all, is it helpful? Am I helping others or am I forcing my will on them? Is it enslaving? Is it be overpowering for me? Will this lead to more liberty or cause us to be enslaved? Am I building up brethren or am I making me feel good by tearing them down. We expound on that just a little bit. Hard to read will look more like that. I hope what we get out of this today is it's not about me. It's not about self. 
it's always about others out there. Every action that I take, every breath that I take, every decision I make, everything that I do, I should take some things into consideration. It all matters. Every day that the Lord gives me, He has expectations for me. Am I meeting those expectations? Is there work that I need to do within myself and with others? If there is, let's commit today to make that happen. Let's begin to work that today. If you're here in this assembly and any of that touched your heart and you would like the prayers of the church as you begin to change and make that work, as I need and covet your prayers, Please come and stand while we sing. If you'd like to be that new creature we talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, again, please come while we stand and sing this song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.